Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Kill Me Three Times is a darkly comedic thriller from a rising star director that would be Creeved Stenders. Simon Pegg plays a mercurial assassin, Charlie Wolf, who discovers that he isn't the only person trying to kill the siren of the sun-drenched surfing town. Um, Charlie finds himself in the center of three tales of murder, mayhem, blackmail, and revenge with an original screenplay by James McFarlane. The film also stars Sullivan Stapleton. Uh, who uh, who is a gambling addict who attempts to pay off his debts with, with a risky life insurance scam. Teresa Palmer, a small-town Lady Macbeth. Colin Mulvey, a wealthy beach club owner simmering with jealousy. And Luke Hemsworth, a local surfer fighting for the woman he loves. And also, legendary film uh, Australian film star, uh, that would be Brian uh, Brown, is a corrupt cop who demands the juiciest cut. And we're joined today by the director of this wonderful film called Kill Me Three Times, and that would be Creve Stenders. Creve, welcome to Film School. Hello. Thank, thank you. you f- thank you so much for, for being here. And, uh, well, tell me a little bit about the genesis of the story. How did it, uh, how did it come to you? Well, I met Larry, the producer, um, a few years ago in Australia. He made a film over there called A Few Best Men. And uh, we hooked up for, a, for a, a, what we call in Australia a boozy lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Had a few wines and started talking about movies and realised that we we were very much cut from the same cloth and um, uh, decided, oh, it would be great to work together one day. And then a year after that, I out of the blue, he calls me up and says, I want you to read this script called Kill Me Three Times. I read it, it completely left off the page. I loved it. And I said, where do I sign? So that was the, the initial genesis. And... Uh, James McFarlane, the writer, is based in. He's an Irish writer. It's his first script. Um, it just blew me away. It was a great, great bit of material, and I decided to uh, to work with um, work with the team and bring it to life. So, when when you've made a decision like that, where do you go once you've said yes to something like this? Uh, what is sort of the next step? Is it finding money? Is it casting? What? Where are you going from there? Well, it's a bit like having a, a relationship with a girlfriend or a wife. You know, you <laughs> you consummate the marriage or you consummate the relationship, and then there's the the the, the daily grind of, of getting the film up. And but fortunately, the project was um, was already uh, was already kind of half built. There was uh, Alicia Braga was attached as Sullivan Stapleton, which also made it very attractive to me because when you have a film like this with some great talent attached to it as a director, you go, "Wow, this is." This is um, what we call a real deal. So um, we started to slowly piece the film together. And my response to the script when I read it was that, look, I said to Larry, I said, look, I I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful screenplay, but, you know, I found it so obscenely and perversely funny. And toward the end, it becomes completely operatic in terms of the body count and what happens without giving giving too much away. And... uh, We started to cast the rest of the film, and my big caveat was, look, I, I really think that the, the hitman character of Charlie Wolf has to be played by a comedian, because I really believe that uh, comedic actors, at least even though someone takes not a comedian or he was, but he's a comedic actor, known as a comedic actor, 
um, you know, I thought that that direction or that that route would be a, a really clever way to go in terms of giving the audience a very strong um, idea or indication of what kind of film they were they were about to watch. And Larry and Cher and uh, my other producer, Tanya Chambers, agreed, and um, we went from there. It was great. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because without that sort of sardonic humor that Simon... Peg is able to bring to the role. Would that be a good way to characterize it? it was sardonic? Is that a an sardonic? Apt- yeah, um, and you know he's uh, he's kind of mercurial. I mean, we 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 had a yes. he's sort of in the movie. He's a bit of a hit and miss man. So he's yeah. he's sort of a flawed hitman with uh, you know with some with some interesting idiosyncrasies. And uh, Simon, you know, obviously loved it. Uh, loved the script and loved the idea of playing that kind of character or playing something they hadn't 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 done before. Well, and the reason I bring that up is because if not for him and his portrayal, I think the film would have been um, I want to say grim, but it certainly would have taken a very different feel. And and given I, I just it would have been a different film. I, I think with with if you had had uh, you know Liam Neeson as the hit guy or something like that. I think it would have been. It would have been it would have been much more like body double or something like that. Well, that was my point. Is that you know we've seen thousands of hitmen throughout you know throughout history, throughout yeah. the history of cinema, and there are some iconic hitmen. You know, Gene yeah. Reno and The Professional, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and so on and so forth. So I thought, how do you subvert that? How do you actually how do you spin that one more time? And the combination of Simon. And this character and doing something that was playful yeah. and clearly um, comedic was was a really delightful yeah. idea. Yeah. By the way, I meant to say Body Heat, not Body Double. Body Heat was the film I was thinking of when I said that. And and also, given the setting, the uh, I think the setting is really another character in the film. It's a very bright, sunny, but very bright. You're on the beach. Uh, uh, quite a bit of the film is takes place along the coast. It's a it's a great uh, counterbalance. It's a sunny, you know, parad- paradise like place, and then all of this, uh, as you said, operatic uh, mayhem is taking place just just on shore. Um, now, casting obviously, once you got all you got some great people. We didn't mention Teresa Palmer, who's wonderful in this film. We know her from Warm Bodies and and others, uh, Point Break, and then uh, Callan uh, Mulvey as well. From there were a few people that came out of uh, Three Hundred. Was that just by some quirk that you, a couple of these guys uh, that, that you cast were from that film, or just happened that? I just one of those great coincidences. I mean, you know, um, uh, Sullivan and Cal were mates, and uh, Callan is someone who I've, who I've been watching keenly yeah. for a number of years, and um, he was an actor that I really wanted to work with. And, uh, you know, it becomes, you know, when you're casting a movie, it's a little bit like a... A Tetris game, you know. <laughs> the sooner you get, the closer you get to the casting, you you have to make very quick decisions and still keep um, the entire structure intact. So, Callan came on right at the last moment, and it was so, such a thrill to kind of finally piece this this yeah. great cast together. And that's what I mean. It was kind of by chance, so yeah. it wasn't really by design. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I'm, 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 it was one of the most wonderful casts I've ever worked with. Uh, let, let's go back and talk a little bit about the setup. Okay, so um, the basics the basics of it are? Well, the basics are it's set in a, 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 um, a town um, 
uh, I guess, an imaginary town <laughs> called Eagle's Nest, yes. which is somewhere on the west coast of Australia. And it's about a hitman called Charlie Wolf, who's called in to um, assassinate uh, the cheating wife of um, a publican, um, Jack, who runs this um, hotel uh, on the on the on the on the ocean. And um, through the process of trying to carry out the job, he realizes that they're a scheming couple mm-hmm. um, who decide to um, also they have their own <laughs> motives and their own um, their own plan to kill her as well. And the whole thing turns into what I call a cluster. Yes, well, and, and that's right. And and, and everyone has an agenda. It, it's interesting. That, the beauty of a film like uh, Kill Me Three Times is that it's fun to watch these sort of this onion peel itself back and reveal every time you peel another layer, there's there's a lot more uh, going on in 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 the in uh, the story. That that was that makes for a very fun film. Um, yeah, well, that was, was that was what, was what was wonderful about James's script is that it it sort of told these events in this time fractured way. So without getting Giving any anything away, you, the way you enter the story is that you're you're given and fed information that keeps revealing itself, and it was again such a wonderful conceit. And as a filmmaker, it's one of those scripts that you know, one of those kinds of films that I love. Mm-hmm. And as a filmmaker, it's a wonderful kind of film to make because you know you, you you're dealing with time, you're dealing with um, you're dealing with, with with audiences' expectations, and you're playing playing things off against each other and you know, it's it was when I read this script and started thinking about it, I realized, oh my god, this is a, this is a film with a twist, a double twist, and a triple twist. Yes, which is such a yeah, again, such a such a terrific thing to work with. I mentioned briefly uh, Brian Brown. Um, his character is is also. Uh, I mean, it's great to see him. I, I haven't seen him in any American films of late, but he's always been a terrific actor and continues to be so. Uh, he is kind of the free radical, if you will, in this film. He's the guy that it's not, you're not quite, he's just in it for himself, more or less, but he keeps kind of mucking things up when he steps into the picture. That'd be a fair fair way to characterize yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's the foil. He is, yeah. <laughs> he is the foil in this. And uh, like I said, it was just great to see him. Uh, I haven't, like I said, we haven't seen him for a while. Has this film opened in Australia? Not yet, no. No, the the American release is uh, is leading the the charge. Okay. Now you had a, a lot of success with a previous film called Red Dog, a, a box yeah. office hit for you. Um, what kind of uh, you know pressure, if at all, does it put on you moving forward um, when you've had a, a hit uh, and you're looking now you're looking at obviously a, and I assume and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume that Kill Me Three Times is getting a a wider release than than Red Dog did. Is that well? Yeah, it's interesting. In a way, you know, there's no pressure because you know that you can't. There's no way. Like for example, in Australia, Red Dog did very very well. It's one of the highest grossing films in, I guess, Australian box office history. Which is, um, you know, I'm trying to be modest, but it, no, you know, it was. There's no way that my next film would ever reach that that reach that target. So in a way, it's it's fine. <laughs> you let yourself off the hook and you just have some fun because you just know that if you if you don't place that expectation or that pressure on yourself, you just get on with doing the movie. And this was such a lovely 
choice after that film. It was such a lovely group of people, a really, you know, a real left-hand turn from what I'd done before. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's what you have to do in your career as a filmmaker. I think you have to compl- always reinvent yourself and always be uh, not repeating yourself and trying things and challenging um, your, your skills and being scared and and working in a genre that um, that you love but you haven't tried before. So, to me, it was it was it was kind of a it was a perfect situation. We're talking with Creve Stenders. He is the director of the new film Kill Me Three Times. It's opening on April 10th here in Los Angeles and across the country. Uh, keep an eye out for it. Um, what, what have you've made? Like you've made a number of films now. Um, what is it? What what is the the first thing as a as a director as an artist? Whenever you're going to take on a project, what is it that you're most likely to be attracted to? Um, and now it sounds like in this case you you saw the great script and you loved it, but you also knew there were people attached to it. What, what what's your sort of when you're going to make a decision about a project? What is it that you're looking for? Well, with any script, with any project, my my. It's what, it's what I always tell people who give me a script. I said, look, unless I can find what I call the inn, mm-hmm. or unless I can find the door, my door, into the project, then I can't really do it. And to me, it's very much about finding what I call the hook or the, the mm-hmm. kind of the trick. Because every film, whether it's thriller, a romantic comedy, um, a horror movie, a drama, every film performs what I call a magic trick. Mm-hmm. And the magic trick is the experience of watching the film and what it leaves you with. And that's, that's what we do, I think, as filmmakers, is that we, we, um, we tell a story and every story is hinged on, on an idea. Mm-hmm. And unless I can find that idea or unless I can find that hook, that trick, that, for want of a better word, that gimmick, um, I, can't, I, can't, I really can't, uh, you know, go any further. Mm-hmm. And with Kill Me Three Times... The trick, the hook, the gimmick was, was as I said before, that this was perversely and obscenely funny. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it was a movie, in the true sense of the word, it was a movie with a capital M. It was set in its own hermetically sealed universe. It had a timelessness to it. And ultimately, it was pure farce. So yeah. that was my hook. That was my entry point. And when I knew that I was making a, an all-out broad well, not broad, but I guess, but, but, but I guess a, a, a distinctively darkly comic neo noir thriller. Um, I knew I was onto something. I knew I was onto, uh, I guess, a scene that I could that I could continue to mine. Yeah, there's there's a couple reading up on on the film and yourself. Uh, I, I came across a couple of phrases that really do for me uh, summarize the film. Kill me three times, and that is, it's a popcorn movie. Uh, it is it, it it is one of those movies that um, you know in the, in the same tradition as watching uh, a horror movie you want to kind of pull the blanket up over your eyes if you're watching it at home kind of at, at, at certain points in the film because you know what's probably coming and but at the same time you pull the blanket down to see what happened too <laughs> so yeah, so it, yeah, it, yeah. well I also well, my other analogy is a sports car you know it looks great mm-hmm. it's got some great curves it it sounds great mm-hmm. and it's fun to drive yeah. Yeah. yeah, and for American audiences, I guess a, a frame of reference as you do. You've said here, kind of a Pulp Fiction like sort of. You play with time. You play with kind of the time space 
a little bit here uh, and uh, and a little bit of No Country for Old Men, although it's not nearly that dark. And uh, I mean, even though it's a great film, wow, that is a, that was a grim, grim film. Uh, and this is not. Are you in town for any of the Q&As when it opens here in Los Angeles or uh, in New York or anywhere? Yeah. Unfortunately, I have to go back to okay. Australia. Okay. I'm in pre-production on a, um, on a sequel to Red Dog. So um, uh, Magnolia kindly sent me out here to be at the premiere and, and do the press. So unfortunately, I don't think I will be doing any more Q&As. But, um, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's opening, I think, on the 10th, as you said. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're going um, on, on demand on the 26th. Well, that sounds fantastic, actually. Uh, the the, uh, the idea get getting to do uh, a follow-on to uh, to Red Dog. You must really be pretty. I mean, must really be looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, look again as a as a filmmaker. You know, it's um, I've never thought I'd ever actually be making a sequel to one of my own. <laughs> that was always something I thought was you know in the realm of of like um you know I guess you know. Uh, I guess a Hollywood director's career. You know, I never thought it would happen to me as an Australian filmmaker, but um, it's great. Yeah, it is. It's it's wonderful to have a brand, I guess, and to be able to build upon it and and re-enter a story world that um, that you already love. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I feel very privileged and um, very excited about the the um, you know, the next movie. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Creve Stenders, the uh, director of Kill Me Three Times. What is the state of Australian filmmaking right now? What, how, how would you characterize it? Well, I think it's the same as it is around the world. I think, you know, we're, we're in this, what I call, a kind of a perfect storm mm-hmm. in that, um, you know, I think the old distribution models, the old business models of film financing and film distribution uh, are kind of crumbling and devolving and evolving in, in a new way. And I think uh, for a small country... Um, uh, that we are, uh, we actually make a lot of movies, and we make a lot of really good movies. And it's a very exciting time, in a way, in that uh, there's there's going to be, I think, a, a very fundamental shift in the way in which we as Australians watch movies, and the way in which we also finance them. Um, and my other, my other, I, I guess what I'm what I'm noticing as well, and what what I'm trying to sort of be part of a part of as well is I think the fusion of television and cinema is is really beginning to happen and that 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 audiences now love watching all kinds of stories told in all kinds of ways mm-hmm. across all kinds of different platforms and I directed some television last year which was just one of the best experiences I had so as a country as a as a you know as an audience um, and as filmmakers, we're beginning to adapt and realize that there is not just one way to make a film or to tell a story or to release it. So it's it's kind of a it's a scary time because no one knows what's around the corner. But at the same time, it's also um, a very yeah, a, 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 I guess a kind of a scarily thrilling time as well because there's 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 a whole new range of opportunities to exploit. One last question for you. You you have your druthers, you have all the money you need. Um is there a kind of is there a film that you that a kind of film, a genre of film that you haven't yet tackled that you really would like to to take on? Um, <laughs> someone asked me this question today as well and I was completely stumped and I couldn't uh <laughs> 
I couldn't answer it, but uh, because uh, you know, I've been I'm a, I'm a big believer that directors should never make their dream projects because they end up not being very good <laughs> <laughs> in general terms. But no, there's a there's actually a, um, a movie I'm trying to um, uh, realise now, and it's, it's basically a war movie, and I've never made a war movie, and it's an amazing story about a true battle that uh, um, uh, was fought in Vietnam called the Battle of Long Tan, and it's one of the most incredible true life stories I've ever come across. And um, that's something I'm very passionate about and would love to realise um, either soon or one day. You know, it's it's yeah. very much a, um, uh, a story I think that needs to be told and um, is one of those great classic um, yarns. Well, I look for, I truly... Uh uh, Creve Standers, I look forward to your work. I, I have to say about Kill Me Three Times that one of the, the, the some of the strengths of the film are it's got terrific pacing, the 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 uh, and it's it, there's a look to it, and and the and the acting is uniformly consistently in in the range that you would expect for a film like this. I think you did a great job with your cast. I think you did a great job making this of what is a relatively complicated story very uh accessible and uh so i look for uh for more great films from you and i i'm i'm thrilled thrilled you were able to find some time to come on film school well thank you so much and that that uh, that those sort of words are very encouraging for me so thank you very much oh you're very welcome and uh, again (laughs) the film is uh kill me three times uh the director is creve stenders and uh it comes out april 10th here in los angeles and uh, again thank you for being on film school Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.